Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Senolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Senolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code DAVE at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash DAVE. Use code DAVE. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health Dave for an exclusive 10% off. Fact of the day is, koala fingerprints are so close to human fingerprints that it's hard to tell them apart, even with an electron microscope. This is pretty cool because koalas evolve totally independently with the evolutionary trees of primates and koalas branching apart 70 million years ago. This also means that you could go to court and say that the fingerprints actually belonged to a koala and you didn't rob the bank. On today's Bulletproof Radio Show, I'm really excited to have Dr. Terry Walls. Terry is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa. She's written more than 60 peer-reviewed scientific abstracts, posters, or papers. And she's most famous for her viral TED Talk that more than 1.5 million people have seen. It was called Minding My Mitochondria, and she talked about her personal battle with multiple sclerosis and how she used functional medicine, electrical stimulation of her muscles, and a paleo-style diet to be able to walk again. She rides her bicycle to work, and she was formerly in a wheelchair. Uh, her book is coming out pretty soon, which is called The Walls Protocol, How I Beat Progressive MS Using Paleo Principles in Functional Medicine. 
Uh, I can't wait to read that. And I've had the good fortune to spend some time at a conference with Terry and get to have lunch with her and compare which of us could eat more asparagus than the other. Uh, for the record, I won. <laughs> and she's already been on uh, Bulletproof Radio episode number 29, which is quite a while back. And she also was a guest on the Creative Live broadcast I did not so long ago. So I'm a big fan of her work because not only is Terry a, a physician, uh, Terry's a, a biohacker. She literally hacked her own body, went beyond just what a traditional doctor would have done and said, look, this is a matter of survival. I'm not messing around here. And, and she did it and she won. And Terry, I, I admire that greatly. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so very much. Tell me about the WALS protocol. Like, what do you do, the, the basic things uh, uh, nutritionally? Okay. So uh, the nutrition uh, in the book, uh, The Walls Protocol, I've laid out a roadmap. So someone who's taking the standard American diet, uh, still a uh, lot of carbs, a lot of processed foods, uh, we can ease them uh, first into the Walls diet, which has uh, the usual nine cups of fruits and vegetables, uh, lots of berries, uh, clean protein, organic. Uh, as they uh, get comfortable with that for a couple of months, then I move them to the Walls Paleo take out the, even the uh, gluten-free grains yeah. uh, more fully. We have them do that uh, for a couple of months when they're comfortable with that. And then we move them, uh, if they're willing, to the Paleo Plus plan, which is much more of a ketogenic diet. I use uh, medium-chain triglycerides so we can have more of the non-starchy vegetables and berries, uh, but still maintain a very nice ketosis. Uh, and... Uh, so that's the food plan. You can enter at any of the three levels, but I really want people to progress from walls to walls paleo to paleo plus. Uh, then I uh, also uh, spend a lot of time talking about exercise, electrical stimulation, uh, the importance of stress. If you have cortisol is through the roof, that creates a very toxic environment. Uh, so we uh, address that and uh, we address sleep because all mammalians need to sleep. Uh, so we talk about how critical that is. Um, I go into a, a long conversation about uh, vitamin supplements, which ones make sense, why we designed the diet the way we did, uh, and based on uh, the research about what vitamins and supplements are good for brains, good for detoxification. Uh, and then, of course, I uh, talk a lot about functional medicine and uh, more comprehensive assessments through a functional medicine practitioner. That's a great summary. And it... It's funny because the things that I recommend for higher performance for people are pretty pretty darn similar to that. I think I hit 11 servings of more vegetables than fruits, <laughs> but like overall, yeah. we're in the same we're camp. We're very similar. We're very similar. Yeah, and it's funny because you came at it from this uh, you know, MS protocol thing. I never was diagnosed with a specific neurodegenerative disease, but I can tell you if you're getting brain fog and you're 100 pounds overweight in your mid-20s, you've got some serious <laughs> metabolic problems coming. Um, why did you focus on mitochondria as, as something that was particularly important? And for listeners who are just yeah. joining in, you know, mitochondria are the power plants in our cells. But so, so Terry, what, what made so, that the center thing oh, for you? Yeah, absolutely. So when I first hit, I was diagnosed with MS, like most docs, I started reading the medical literature, and all I did was getting myself really upset with how grim the future looked with half of people being disabled by fatigue within 10 years and half having serious gait problems. Uh, so my family convinced me to stop reading the literature, which I did, until I hit the wheelchair uh, after, three years after diagnosis. That was about 2003. Then I knew how bad things were going to be. Uh, and so I went back. 
And uh, at night I started uh, reading basic science about uh, the animal models of MS and the animal models of other diseases with shrinking brains, Parkinson's, Huntington's, Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, Alzheimer's dementia. And I saw or, or that- I think be, being a politician is another one of those, right? Isn't no, that? pretty close. <laughs> particularly, particularly in the American Congress. So uh, the common theme in all of these diseases was that the brain cells were getting a, its time to die signal too early from the mitochondria. Yeah. And that led to a killing of the brain cells. Uh, so then I started searching for uh, studies where mitochondria had been protected. And that's where I first started using uh, vitamins and supplements, which, by the way, they did not stop, did not lead to any recovery. It slowed the speed of right. my disability. So it sort of flattened it out. I was still getting steadily worse. I had discovered uh, paleo principles uh, in 2002, which was before I hit the wheelchair. And I'd, uh, uh, adopted a paleo diet as described by Lauren Cordain, 2002. Yeah, very, very original school, kind of old school yeah. thing. Still, you know, declining. And uh, by the way, that was low fat. Um, when I discovered functional medicine, I, I took their uh, brain course in the midst of my brain fog. So it was, really was a lot of work. Yeah. Um, I had a longer list of nutrients. So I started taking them in pill form. Uh, and then, uh, you know, a month into that, I had this brilliant epiphany that I should get them from the food I was eating. So then I went back to researching where these uh, 31 nutrients were in the food supply and reorganized my diet uh, according to these long lists of foods I needed to stress. Now, as I began to teach this to the public, I, I, I realized I needed a system. And that's how I came up with the uh, three cups of greens, three cups of sulfur rich, three cups of bright colors, grass-fed meat, organ meat, and seaweed because that would allow people to, you know, pretty reproducibly be choosing foods that would get them those 31 nutrients. When you did that for yourself, did you measure the shrinkage of your brain using any kind of brain imaging? So um, we have MRIs of my brains and I'm picking up uh, more lesions as I, uh, my disease progresses. Uh, and so when I uh, recovered so dramatically, my neurologist was thrilled. He said, let's get another MRI. Let's see how much things have improved. And we were both disappointed. Uh, there were, the, the lesions were still there. There were no uh, new lesions. Um, and we, we didn't do it on the research scan, so we can't say that the brain volume increased or not. What I, I think, you know, this matches what is seen in the literature that uh, brain damage related to gluten sensitivity, when seen late, stays. If it's very early, you might uh, regress those lesions. However, even if the lesions don't change, function can dramatically improve, as it did in my case. So clearly my brain is rewiring around uh, the scar. So the scar, scar, scar doesn't really matter. I'm not getting new lesions, and my function continues to improve. So do you think that the fact you were using electrical stimulation protocols might have driven the brain to change more quickly to route around the parts where you had lesions? Well, it's certain. Uh, so when you use electrical stimulation, uh, you release a lot of endorphins, which lowers inflammation. You also release a lot of nerve growth factors and factors that increase the size of the muscles and the number of mitochondria in the muscles locally. And at least in animal models, you increase that in spinal fluid. No one has tested that in humans. Uh, and I doubt that we ever will because it would be hard to get the IRB to approve 
doing spinal taps on healthy volunteers. They're, they're very, they're very painful. I, I did not enjoy my spinal tap one bit. It was one of the more horrible I, procedures. I, the tap was not so bad, but the spinal headache for the week after was quite miserable. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't want to volunteer for that study either. Yeah. Uh, so we do know, though, so there's some big benefits there. Why doesn't everyone do electrical stimulation of their muscles? Oh, sure. So uh, when you get FDA approval for electrical, uh, neuromuscular electrical stimulation, or eSTEM, uh, the device makers uh, got approval for muscle pain, muscle spasm, disuse atrophy, and uh, originally studied it in the setting of healthy adult, healthy, uh, adult athletes, and they were speeding uh, the recovery time. Now, some research scientists are studying this in the setting of cerebral palsy and stroke. And when I read those articles back in 2007, those were the only other clinical studies. Uh, and so I convinced my physical therapist to give me a test session. He said, you know, Terry, it, it's painful. It exhausts our athletes. You have a lot of MS pain. We can grow muscles in your legs, but I'm not sure your brain can talk to those muscles. You may be making your legs heavier and less usable and actually hurting your walking ability. But he agreed to... Um, let me try it. And he was right. It hurt a lot. But at the end of the session, he, he did uh, my left paraspinus, my right paraspinus, and then my quad. So I had done about 24 minutes worth of exercise. And at that point, I could only do about 10 minutes or I'd be flat on my back, exhausted for hours. So I had more than doubled my exercise. And it felt great. Yeah. It was the best I'd felt in a really long time. So for the next couple of weeks, I came into clinic, uh, I, and I had to set up the device uh, in front of Dave, so he knew that I knew how to operate the device, how to operate the electrodes, and could correctly do everything. Uh, when he was satisfied that I, uh, things were going okay, I was tolerating it, I could safely operate the device, uh, then he found a home unit, and I began uh, doing this at home. And his, his advice was, uh, he wanted me to work on the muscles that flex my ankles, so my toes up, go upward, and on my belly and back muscles. Because at that time, I couldn't sit in a regular chair anymore. Wow. I was either in a recliner or in bed because my back was so weak. Um, and he said, you know, uh, stimulate while you're doing your exercise. Uh, and then if you can, try and get 15 minutes per muscle group, and you could go up to an hour. So over the next several months, I you know did my exercises with STEM, and they were, it was easier with STEM, and slowly increased uh, my electrical time. Um, and also, I'd say because I'm an athlete in a former life, I, I was a, a black belt uh, taekwondo person, and I was competing nationally, and uh, so I was pretty comfortable with having the uh, demands of a very rigorous training schedule, uh, and that I kept, you know, detailed logs and kept advancing things. But I also uh, stayed in regular contact with my physical therapist, who was stunned by the rapidity of changes he was seeing. So I did the stem, and then I uh, added the supplements and the diet, and it was magic once I uh, added the diet. Yeah. Uh, the speed of change uh, that happened. Now, without getting too technical... There's this stuff called myelin, and you, you write about it, or you will yes, be writing yes. about it in your book. Myelin is the insulating part around the nerves. And yes. 
I, I understand from my own electrical stimulation work that when you increase the amount of current that you ask a nerve to carry, that the body will naturally say, I better put more myelin on this nerve because I want to insulate the nerve. Does that general description from the way as a, a layperson biohacker, I think about it, does that match your experience or do I have it a little off? Well, certainly uh, doing the electrical stimulation uh, increases the uh, tracks uh, that, and the responsiveness between the brain and the muscles. The uh, precise mechanism that that happens is not yet been elucidated. Okay. But clearly uh, we have better connectivity uh, better transmission that occurs. Is it because we have more myelin or is it because we are growing more axons uh, and more connections uh, themselves? Or is it both? Mm, and, good question. Um, I, I think it's probably both. I'd guess that too. Uh, the um, electrical stimulation uh, certainly grows more muscles. Uh, and if you do it during your exercise, it makes the exercise uh, uh, easier for MS patients. And what we observed, and what I certainly personally observed, is this has a, a terrific impact on mood. Uh, it's certainly, uh, the endorphins are really good for your mood. Uh, uh, it improves the joy factor. Uh, I would put it pretty commonly. It, it certainly uh, was very helpful for many of, our, many of our study participants, and I found it to be very, very helpful for me. One of the things that people with chronic illness, and even some people who don't have real chronic illness but are just looking for a little boost, uh, that they've experimented with is a therapy called low-dose naltrexone. Oh, sure. And, and for our listeners, naltrexone is an opiate uh, kind of blocker that's used for people who are recovering from addiction. And when you take very low doses of it, though, it can raise the natural... Uh, it's a natural killer cell? It's a very helpful uh, immune cell that helps uh, rebalance our um, immunity into a more natural state, less aggressive at attacking itself. Uh, it's quite beneficial. Uh, and um, there are certainly, you know, it's of interest, I tried it for a while, did not perceive any benefit. Uh, you did try it. I, I tried it also, and you know, I, I did not have MS. I, I questioned whether I, I certainly know I had chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and Lyme disease and toxic mold exposure, which is a pretty good mix. Um, yeah. And related, all three of those kind of can come together. And it's, it's really interesting. You tried it, you didn't feel it. I didn't notice a difference after six months of, of using it, but there are others who had a, a huge thing. What else yeah. did you try that didn't work? Interesting question. There were some vitamins and supplements that I added along the way and felt like, yeah, this is not adding much. I, you know, I try to be very careful and do things one at a time uh, and uh, wait a month, make a decision, this is helpful or not. If it's not helping, take it back off. Um, so some vitamins and supplements were helpful. I added some more. didn't really help. Um, I think... Uh, the food is certainly the most critical part. Yeah. It's like 70% of anything, I think. If you don't get yes, the food right, yes. you're, you're not going to make it. Yes, yes. Now, there are some uh, other therapies that, that I looked at and decided not to try. Uh, one of them being venom therapy, bee venom therapy. Oh, wow. Um, so I looked at it, uh, was uh, clearly tempted. But, you know, again, when I would identify a potential therapy to try, 
I would go back to PubMed and say, okay, has anyone written about this? Is there even a case report of this working? Uh, so if it was out in the internet chatter, you know, that was good, but I wanted to see, was there something about it? Was it working? Was there something written about it uh, having adverse uh, side effects and what kind of monitoring and risks were there? So my conclusion was the scientific studies were really quite mixed without showing any clear benefit. Uh, and there were hazards of anaphylaxis, that is death. And so I decided, no, I uh, did not do the uh, venom therapy. But uh, you don't understand why people would think about it. Uh, another therapy that's become very popular with the MS folks is the uh, blowing up of the blocks uh, in the veins that drain the brain. Yeah. Uh, uh, and Zamboni, uh, he's a radiologist whose wife has uh, MS, and he had theorized that the iron uh, deposits around the blood vessels were related to congestion become from blocks in the brain. Uh, did some angiograms, uh, found what he considered to be narrowing, and has used surgical interventions such as the balloon angioplasty to open those up. Now, in some people, there's dramatic improvement that happens uh, very quickly uh, within hours. But if people don't change all their environmental factors, yeah. when you traumatize the vein, the immune cells are going to come in and uh, inflame uh, that uh, vein to try and heal it, and things will narrow back up. So there are several reports of people in peer-reviewed journals of how frequently people have to come back in for multiple procedures. Uh, and what... Um, Zamboni reports is that his intervention is most effective for fatigue. In my clinical practice and in my clinical trial, the Walls diet is most effective for fatigue, and we see those, those, that kind of benefit within three months, sometimes within a month. Yeah. So, you know, my feeling is why have somebody manipulate the veins in uh, near my brain when I could get similar results? by doing something so radical as eating vegetables, berries, you know, and going organic. Yeah, it's it's the low-hanging fruit. Getting the diet right, avoiding the things that are trigger foods for you. It, it sounds so simple. It, it takes a certain amount of learning. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing your book because you'll explain it in a certain way. Uh, the Bulletproof Diet Infographics, another attempt. And you know, the whole paleo, primal thing even raw vegan uh dieters you know, they're they're looking to try and optimize that and I, I i've come to the conclusion after trying all these things that getting enough of the right kinds of fat is probably the most important thing um no, do you agree well, with that i'm, I'm curious because you're so high on the vegetable polyphenols like is yeah. it can you so really it, rank those it depends on where you are in your disease process ah. so i think that's important and and one of the things that my interpretation of the literature when we look at hunter-gatherer societies is what's uniform, although they eat very different things depending on the locale, is the micronutrient density, yeah. the vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. So I designed my diet to maximize the micronutrient density using foods I could readily get in the Midwest of the United States. And then when we uh, analyzed the uh, diet uh, in our clinical trial, I discovered that I need to give people more structure so they could get their nutrient density up to mine. So that's uh, why we created the Walls Paleo, to give people a little more guidance on what I wanted them to be eating. Uh, and then the Paleo Plus, we uh, ramped it up by going ketogenic. 
in a way that still uh, maximizes those micronutrients. Uh, in the book, you'll see the, these really great graphs where we took a week's worth of menus in each of the diets, and then I had my research dietitian uh, do the uh, nutrient density analysis, what nutrients were, were being consumed for the week. And we compare that to the averages uh, for women uh, in my age group. And we adjusted, so I'm, I'm big, I'm almost six feet tall, so we adjusted the calories back to the average woman. So it's back to uh, 1,790 calories. And you'll see that we exceed the RDAs two to nine fold, depending on the nutrient. Uh, and at all three diet levels, the nutrient density is preserved and is dramatically higher than the standard American diet. And so I think that's a large part of why uh, our diet is so successful for so many different types of disease states. Yeah, I, I would argue that a diet like this is also going to be preventative for disease, oh, which, which is uh, such a, it's, you know, because you've done it, like climbing out of the hole of being sick and even looking at death is so much work and it requires so much willpower and energy and dollars, frankly, uh, that it's yeah. easier just to do it right, eat mostly right most of the time, and your risk of all these things happening just goes down so much. So I, I'm hoping that people adopt this style of eating on a more broad basis just because it's a lot easier to not get sick than it is to recover. Well, you know, some of the things that I've observed in clinics seeing patients, so, you know, uh, in 2007, 2008, I transformed my health. I see the, uh, the world of health and disease very differently. I changed my clinical practice to emphasize diet and lifestyle. And uh, that's what I'm talking about in, in clinics. Uh, since 2008, now five, five years, six years later, I see that the public is more and more uh, embracing of the idea uh, of diet as a big factor in their health. They're more willing to consider that gluten is part of the problem, uh, much more interested uh, in embracing a food as opposed to a pill solution to their health. Um, and so the, I think the patients are far ahead of the medical establishment, in part because of the Internet and the fine work that, that you're doing and Jimmy Moore and, and I'm doing at letting the public know food is how we get either terribly sick or we can restore our health. Uh, what's also exciting, though, is that the medical community is beginning to come along a bit. Yeah. Uh, this, this morning, I uh, presented to the primary care uh, department at the VA hospital I work at uh, about functional medicine, the principles behind it and the concepts. Uh, and talked about the therapeutic lifestyle clinic uh, that we've opened up now. And uh, the providers actually were very excited. They wanted to know if I'd be willing to have a monthly functional medicine uh, course for them. To wow. bring them. I'm like, okay, sure, we'll do that. So uh, we'll be working on getting that arranged. I, I, thank you for doing that. I, all of the doctors I know entered the healing profession because they wanted to heal people. Uh, some of them also wanted to make a living, funny enough. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but uh, they didn't get that much nutritional training or functional medicine training because that's not how the schools are structured. So because you've you know, you've had your TED Talk success, and it's hard to argue with the personal success you've had, um, you're in a unique position to influence physicians to change the way they care for their patients. So thank you for doing that because they're a part of this, part of the puzzle for fixing what's happening to people. I'll tell you, though, one of the big ways that I'm doing it, though, is I'm doing the clinical research. Yeah. So yeah. our uh, first 
uh, paper has gone in, you know, there's this little dance, you go back and forth between the reviewer and you respond to their questions, critiques. Um, but I, I anticipate we'll soon be able to say uh, it's accepted. Uh, and in December, uh, we'll have everybody through the first 12 months will be submitting papers uh, again. We've been presenting our findings at scientific meetings around the country. Uh, it, and so it's, it's that uh, peer-reviewed presentations uh, to scientific meetings and in journals that will be indexed on PubMed that will make it easier for, A, the public to see what I'm doing uh, and the medical community to see that, yes, you know, I'm doing this as a scientist, that we are taking time to measure our results, uh, make sure they're reproducible, uh, and validate that this wasn't just a miracle that happened to me. Yeah, it's it's, a like it happened to quite a few people. It's repeatable. So clinical trials are, are really, they're really important. But you look at things like polyphenols and a variety of polyphenols. Oh, yeah. I mean, are you doing clinical trials on something like, are you quantifying how many polyphenols were in this yellow pepper versus this red pepper okay. and whether they were fresh? Like, how do we well, do this? So... Uh, the traditional way of doing a clinical trial is to extract the nutrient of interest, put it in a pill, yeah. and have a placebo pill. And the functional medicine, and I would say, that's ridiculous. We're a complex yeah. biological system. You have to uh, have a much more complex intervention for complex diseases. And fortunately for me, uh, my institutional review board said, uh, we're going to approve your study, but only if you do a replication of what you did. Oh, cool. So that's what we did. So same uh, supplements, same diet, as near as I could quantify. When I realized people still weren't following my diet well enough, I, I structured it a little more vigorously for them. Uh, same electrical protocols. Uh, we personalized the exercise in the E-STEM to match their level of disability. Uh, and so uh, we were very... Uh, very much into the systematic approach to maximizing the efficiency of their biochemistry as well as we could. Now, not everyone improves, but we do have some very stunning videos that we're going to get to show when we finally get uh, uh, published with the whole trial. It'll be very exciting. Well, it, it's when you see anyone get up out of a wheelchair and someone who's suffered greatly like that, it, it's, it's a pretty emotional thing, to be honest. And uh, I, I just love that you're standing up and talking about this. Also, some of the details are, are really important. One of the things that you talk about maybe more so than even most of the paleo people is you know, the variety of colors in, in your diet and, and what is the role of, of colors and polyphenols and why are they so important? Well, in uh, you know, study after study, um, we see that the polyphenols lower the risk of dementia, cognitive decline, uh, neurodegeneration. They also lower the risk of uh, heart disease, obesity, and cancers. The precise mechanisms, uh, we aren't sure. My observation is that the uh, polyphenols are very helpful at maintaining the integrity of the membranes for mitochondria. So they're really uh, very helpful at protecting um, the redox status within the cell and within the membranes. So here, here's a question. Do you drink coffee? You know, I never acquired the taste. So I drink tea, mm -hmm. and my tea is, you know, like one-fourth full-fat coconut milk and three-fourths uh, tea. 
Got and it. So it's, it's it's kind of like the bulletproof coffee recipe. Okay. Very similar. So I, I and that's you know, because I'm uh, working on maintaining my uh, ketosis. So I have lots of um, medium chain triglycerides from my coconut milk in my tea. I have that morning, have that evening. I eat two meals a day uh, and try to have a 12 to 16 hour fast every day. Very similar recommendations. I, I love this. Like I, I, I do the same things. We're converging, you know? Uh, yeah, no, no question about it. I didn't realize that you were doing only two meals a day. The reason I asked about coffee is not because of, you know, bulletproof coffee and all that, but it is the number one source of polyphenols uh, in the average American's diet. And tea, tea is also very high in it, right? So you're drinking tea yeah. and... Uh, and I'm, yerba mate is good. Uh, Ruiz tea uh, is very good. What about the other highest polyphenol sources? Like, that's just the one I know of because it's number one. Okay. What are the things that you'd say people should look at to get more polyphenols? So uh, I particularly like aronia berries and cranberries. These are very uh, tart berries. And so you're going to have uh, very high polyphenols. Uh, I look for things that are black um, and not too sweet. You can have uh, black grapes, certainly. But I'd rather you do things like uh, black raspberries, uh, blackberries. Uh, the aronia berries, because they are they're a little more tart, you get a little more um, polyphenol with fewer calories. You could also do beets. If you do beets, I prefer that they be grated raw. Uh, they're uh, terrific additions to a smoothie. So I uh, grate a little uh, beets, uh, some coconut milk and ginger. That makes a uh, lovely smoothie as well. Uh, and so I'll, I'll actually, I'll rotate between my... Uh, berry smoothie and a beet smoothie uh, to get that uh, purple-black color every day. Uh, and then for reds, it's a matter of looking at where you're going to pick up your reds. It could be uh, cranberries, uh, it could be peppers, it could be tomatoes. And uh, I know some of our your audience members are, are probably having chest pain, thinking like, oh my God, she's talking about nightshades, she actually eats nightshades. <laughs> so uh, I think and I do talk about if people are still symptomatic after going through the walls protocol, yeah. yes, they may need to have food allergy testing and know what foods uh, they're sensitive to. Not everyone can have, has a problem with nightshades. You may have a problem with nightshades. And I yeah. talk about um, But if you don't have a problem with nightshades, there's some terrific nutrition in those peppers, in those tomatoes, and a lot of health-promoting benefits. Yeah, that, that's why they're orange on the Bulletproof diet. They're not, you know, red, like don't eat them. They're like, you got it. These are warning, like try them and see what they do. Because like, yeah. they have a lot of great nutrition sure. for them. Uh, red cabbage, uh, red kale, red lettuce. Uh, so uh, many of our traditional vegetables, uh, carrots, were originally uh, purple, for example. So uh, there are many uh, of our vegetables have lots of pigment in them. And my advice is, uh, grow what you can locally, uh, try and get more heirloom varieties, and try and maximize the color so that you have something yellow-orange every day, something red every day, something in that purple-blue-black group every day. It makes good sense. Uh, getting you know quality vegetables like that is important. Um, what's the role of freshness? Like You live in the Midwest where a lot of that stuff isn't grown, and it, it you know, it's a week old by the time you get it. Do you eat a lot of frozen vegetables? Do you eat kind of the wilted so, ones? So I have a hierarchy. Uh, fresh out of my yard is preferable. Uh, fresh from uh, a farmer's yard, 
uh, or farm that I know and I can buy immediately. I would come next. Uh, from the store would be third. Uh, from across the country is fourth. Out of the country, uh, distant fifth. Uh, then I'd prefer to have uh, frozen. Uh, dried, if it's dried at low temperature, can be good. People have asked me, well, what about my magic powdered uh, super yeah. purple blend or magic powdered red blend or magic green blend? And you look at the list of these blends, and there are 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 different things in there. If you have an autoimmune problem, you may well have developed some food sensitivity yeah. issues. And as soon as you start taking something that has a long list, the po- you're introducing the possibility that you're going to have a food sensitivity issue to something on that list. So I'd much rather you eat uh, a lot of asparagus in one day, and then tomorrow a lot of broccoli, and then tomorrow uh, a lot of beets and carrots or red cabbage, as opposed yeah. to 50 different uh, things on the list today. It, it's hard to eliminate one thing from the 50 that's your trigger. And and there's also, there's good research about demyelination and certain mold toxins. Uh, I yes. have yet to find a powdered vegetable blend with 50 different dried vegetables that doesn't have mold toxins in it from at least one of the vegetables. And uh, one of the products I was looking at, at formulating, like I was pretty far down the pathway uh, that had uh, maca in it. I ran it through the standard bulletproof mold test that most companies never do, and I found 13 parts per million of aflatoxin in it. And just said, I'm, and this was a very high end uh, supplier doing it. And if you take someone with immune sensitivities and you give them a daily dose of aflatoxin, it is not going to end well. And so I, I'm skeptical of those patterns. There are some really high quality ones where some batches are pretty pristine, but there are others where. I, I know most companies don't do that level of testing, and I'm I'm concerned when you powder that many vegetables. Are are you as concerned as I am, or am I just a little paranoid out there? I don't use those products for okay. very similar reasons. I think you ought to eat whole food that you've grown or your friends have grown, uh, and frozen food I think is safer. Uh, when you start getting into processing, and these powders, unknown variables, it makes me yeah. uh, quite uneasy. Got it. So we, I'm not surprised we agree that we tend to think pretty similarly, but we don't when it comes to garlic and onions. So you gave a talk at Ancestral Health Summit, uh, which is like the yes. major paleo conference uh, about yes. garlic and onions and blood fluidity. So yes. I, I put them as medical herbs and I'm not opposed to their yes. use. I don't look at them as daily food sources for other reasons, but what are the benefits of garlic and onions that, that you've talked about? So there are a number of studies that have looked at the uh, rheology or how thick or fluid blood is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they used aged garlic extract, two capsules of that, which is equivalent of six garlic. Uh, and by consuming uh, the garlic, you uh, increase the arginine in the blood, you improve the endothelial function and improve blood fluidity. Uh, that's that. Uh, so these are uh, allicin sulfides uh, that are in the garlic, onions, chives mm-hmm. that do that. Uh, if you go down the kale uh, uh, cabbage family, you have a number of compounds, uh, uh, sulforaphane, for example, that are going to induce uh, glutathione synthetase. And all of us would like to see more glutathione in our cells and in our brain. Uh, so that's part of why I designed the uh, diet to have three cups of sulfur-rich vegetables from the cabbage family and the onion family. 
to induce glutathione in the brain, induce the enzymes that we use to uh, metabolize and process, eliminate uh, the stored toxins uh, in our fat uh, that we have from all the heavy metals, plastic solvents, uh, and other harmful compounds. So it's actually very, very intentional uh, with that. With the caveat that we are all unique biochemically, uh, and so I, I let people know that if these food groups, for uh, whatever reason, are clearly not agreeing with you, you still have to honor that. For example, uh, I, I, uh, part of the diet is three cups of greens. We have a couple of folks in our study, uh, and I've seen this in clinic as well, who can't tolerate three cups of greens. It gives them uh, diarrhea in the run. So they come back to a cup and a half or, or only have cooked greens, and they do fine. We all still have to absolutely pay attention to how our unique system reacts uh, to these recommendations. It's uh, it's very true uh, that the individuality thing has to trump the other things going on. Now, the downside of garlic and onions for me is what they do to alpha waves in the brain. <clears throat> so they suppress alpha. And mm-hmm. people with neurodegenerative diseases have a problem with um, maintaining higher alpha waves anyway, according to some of the neurofeedback guys I've worked with. So the recommendation for me is, you know, if you're doing well and you don't need them for a medical reason, then garlic and onions probably ought not to be, you know, six cloves a day. I would eat six cloves of garlic a day when I was a raw vegan. I like the taste of the stuff. It's good for me. So I'm just going to load up on it. But I can see an effect even in my kids if they eat garlic, like they're whinier, they're less able to focus. And since I'm trying to get people to turn on their brains and focus, like use them, use them with consciousness. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Send me those references. I want to check that out. Okay. It, it's, uh, they're relatively, I, I would like to see a real study done. Yeah. These are obs- observations from uh, guys done neurofeedback for 30 years and literally training alpha. And he said, I cannot train alpha and people eat garlic because it doesn't work. You eliminate garlic, it works. And there's some chemical reasons. I'll, I'll send you what I've got. It, it's relatively thin, but I, I notice it for my meditation practice. Garlic breaks my meditation and so I'm like, well, if we want people to be calm and focused, it should be a medical herb, not a flavoring thing that you eat every single day of your life. And I get a lot of crap in the paleosphere for that recommendation, uh, but I stick by it just because it's there and people who train their brains typically notice the nuanced differences in their consciousness from them. I think you have to honor what you observe. Yeah, yeah exactly. What about raw meat? Do you ever eat raw meat? So uh, raw meat is what our Inuit friends in the Arctic uh, would eat mm-hmm. during winter uh, times. And uh, they typically ferment that. Uh, and so it's fermented, sort of cheesy, rank, very odiferous uh, compounds, which, by the way, I spent time in Alaska, and I had the opportunity to do that. This was during the period of my life when I was vegetarian, so that was quite a challenge to go out with my Yupik friends. But I, was, <laughs> I hung in there, and I ate all that stuff and survived. Um, now, uh, if I'm going to have, uh, so I like, uh, ceviche, uh, which is, uh, fish products that are sort of cooked in, uh, acid. Uh, I think having raw meat, uh, has the advantage in that it's more digestible. Uh, the protein hasn't been denatured or, sh- or uh, the shape shifted by heating. Mm-hmm. Uh, the downside of raw meat is what was the health of the animal yeah. and the risk, the public health risk of, uh, bacterial or parasitic infections. You can decrease that somewhat 
by putting the meat in a deep freeze for at least 14 days, thawing it out, soaking it in salt and vinegar solution for 24 hours, and then, uh, you know, uh, say putting it in a dehydrator and making a um, jerky out of it. Yeah, and I have done that, but I do that only when I'm getting meat from farmers that I trust and that I have very high confidence this was a completely healthy animal. In my book, I acknowledge that there are reasons why raw meat may be superior, but there are very real public health risks. Uh, so, well, well said. I, I did do raw meat. I was a raw vegan, then a raw omnivore when I realized the vegan diet was making me sick. So I, I would follow exactly the recipes you're talking about. And sometimes I would use a few drops of iodine in water. And I'd soak yeah. the meat in iodized water as well to sterilize the outside. But yeah, you better know like the name of that animal if you're going to eat it raw. And uh, where I, I live now, I, I do know all of the animals. I know where they came from. I know the, the, the people who raised them. And it's all within a few miles of my house. And I, I would eat anything in my freezer raw. Uh, but I give it to my kids raw sometimes. But I prepare it properly. So. But if you're out in the public, you know, with someone else's raw meat. Um, yeah, it's too sketchy uh, for me. Yeah, you know, I'm like, well, uh, you have to be uh, a lot more thoughtful. Last question before we go into sort of the end of the show. How much does it cost for someone to get their own neuromuscular electrical stimulation device at home? Okay. So to get the device, uh, the first thing I, I'd really urge people to do is have a physical therapy evaluation. Uh, if you have MS, you're going to have uh, variable lesions. And so your gait, your, the function of your muscles is, are going to be impaired in your unique way. So you want to know what muscles are weak, what exercises you need to strengthen, and for you, where the electrodes go. Now, in my book, I do have a chart on where I put the electrodes for me, with the caveat that my therapist put the electrodes on, turned on the current, saw what muscle was stimulated, then moved them around to make, to make sure that they were correctly located for me. And we'd have to do it for you as well, Dave, because you, you have yeah. been integrated in a, your own unique way. Mm -hmm. so, so you need a physical therapy evaluation. Uh, you need some sessions in clinic to show that you can learn where to put the electrodes and uh, exercise accordingly. Uh, then you can get the device. The devices that you can buy without a prescription uh, by regulation have a much lower uh, milliamp output. The prescription devices will have a higher output and need to be prescribed by a doc and uh, trained overseen by a physical therapist. So you have the price of the consult, you have the uh, price of a couple clinic sessions, and then you have the price of the device. The devices will run, I would say, between, if they're um, uh, non-prescription, you could probably get devices for 100 bucks. They don't put, put out much power. Yeah, they don't do much. And, I, and I've tried those. That, that's really not much. Yeah. Or you can get the prescription devices. The uh, MP300 and the Continuum that I got had a list price of around uh, $800. Uh, if you're getting them through your uh, insurance uh, or a direct copay, you could probably negotiate a smaller price. But but you really need to look at it, the whole picture because you need a physical therapist to help you design the correct exercise program and to confirm where you put the electrodes on you 
to get the stimulation that you want. Yeah, I uh, I have my own set of electrodes, uh, stick-on right. ones, and I have several electrical devices like that. And I do, uh, actually over Skype sometimes, I'll consult with people who are better at mapping muscle and muscle activation out than I am and working yes. on specific exercises. Not because I'm recovering from something like that, but because I don't exercise very much and I get enormous benefits cognitively, uh, metabolically, you, know, you can break out into sweat in three minutes and start, you know, breathing hard. And it, it's it's one of the more intense workouts I know how to do in the least amount of time. And I feel there's neurological benefits that go beyond yes. what I get from lifting heavy things. Yes, yes. You know, it, and um, so, because I have, don't have enough to do, I uh, also created a, <laughs> a therapeutic garment that we've uh, developed to use with the device. Uh, that I've been using along with this because I want it to be more convenient. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, I mean, e-stem is a very uh, effective way to uh, help grow more muscles, more muscle mass more quickly. And it clearly does great stuff for my brain. It looks like it does great stuff for other people's brains as well. Yeah, the first biohacking conference ever I put on in January of, uh, of this year in 2013. And mm -hmm. we brought in someone to do two days of this on perfectly healthy people. And you know they mm -hmm. noticed the benefits right away. So I, I hope that 10 years from now, when you go to 24 hour, whatever the current health club du jour is, that you'll be able to get access to this sort of thing for healthy people applied in the right place because it's probably more efficient than some of the, the elliptical motion machines and things like that. Um, even for healthy people. So time will tell. Well, I mean, I, I certainly, it's the intent that uh, in my book, I talk about electrical stem. Uh, and uh, in the research world, it's now being used for heart failure, uh, chronic lung disease, rheumatoid arthritis, obesity to help these people begin mm -hmm. uh, to increase their exercise capability. Uh, and I'm working uh, with physical, physical therapy societies to get them to understand that this is a modality that needs to be offered to more and more people. Uh, because it is so effective at taking somebody who's severely deconditioned and beginning the journey to getting them back to normal function again. Yeah, and it, from the mitochondria to the nervous system to the muscles to the cardiovascular, it, it's it's a powerful therapy. I, Absolutely. I, I love it that you're writing about that and not just about nutrition because it, it's a very important hack. It, it, it's a whole it's a whole package. The, the diet's very big. You know, you know when, when I did the TED Talk, I only had 18 minutes, so yeah. I, I only talked about the diet. But the protocol uh, is much bigger than just the diet. You know, we haven't talked about uh, stress or sleep. Yeah, those are big. <laughs> those are also huge. Uh, I, I tell um, my study subjects and my clinical practice that the nutrition is the basis. If you get that wrong, you're, you're not going to get anywhere. The next layer is making sure your cortisol, your endogenous stress hormones get normalized, put back to idle. And then, so that'll take care of your fatigue. That's going to improve your brain fog. But if you want to move again, you're going to have to do the exercise and do the e-stem. Now, if you don't have access to e-stem, just work with a therapist and do the exercise. It'll be slower, but you can still recover. Yeah. But, uh, it, and all of it needs to happen. If you leave something out, you're, you're leaving a lot of recovery on the table. It, it very, very well said. 
There's a question that uh, I asked you on episode 29 a long time ago, and uh, I'll ask it again because it's the question I always ask people at the end of a show. Given everything you've learned so far, not just about you know MS or about nutrition or the other things we just talked about, what are the top three things people should know when if they want to perform better or just be at their very best? Well, uh, you have to have a nutrient-dense diet and get rid of the uh, processed crap. So nutrient-dense uh, vegetables uh, and high-quality essential fats, high-quality protein. To normalize your stress hormones and sleep schedule, uh, and uh, you have to move your body. If you can, if you can get access to it, electrical stimulation will accelerate that physical recovery. But if you can't get access to it, not to fret. Don't make yourself crazy, because you can still uh, recover uh, with very thoughtful, well-planned out exercise programs. Wonderful, Terry. It was great to chat with you again, and uh, yes. Um, I guess we never even got a chance to talk about the, the glutathione or the, the brain octane and all that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, I was very pleased with them, by the way. Oh, you were? Okay. I, I meant to ask you about them. But you know, this, is not, this is no infomercial. Like This is an information sharing podcast. And if people yes. like it, they might buy our stuff. But I know uh, when, we ch- when we chatted last, uh, I was excited to share some with you because you care so much about your mitochondrial function like I do. And uh, like they're designed for that. So we'll talk about that some other time. But thank you for being on the show. And would you tell our listeners where they can find out more info about you. Okay, so please go to my website, Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S, dot com. And uh, do check out my book, The Walls Protocol, which is available at uh, Barnes & Noble and on Amazon. Uh, It will change your life. Again, that's The Walls Protocol. Terry, can't wait to see you at another conference or to come and visit you at the University of Iowa. Have an awesome day. Great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye now. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.